I know that, you know, there's this consensus that the Giants need to go out and get another quarterback. I understand why that narrative is out there. But again, the Giants have tried this before. They've tried that before with Daniel Jones. Get the quarterback, build the line around him. Now you've wasted a career, essentially, trying it that way. So until the Giants can get the offensive line issues fixed for the first time in more than a decade, it really doesn't matter who you have at the skill positions. It really doesn't matter who you have under center because we've seen it on repeat for a decade that that is not working. Something else has to change. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Ryan O'Leary here playing host, joined as always by my good buddy, Dan Benton. This is the Giants Wire podcast. We're brought to you by the USA Today Network. We're available on whatever platform you like best. So if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already, we really appreciate the support. Hey, Dan. Merry Christmas, buddy. Uh, unfortunately, we do not get the gift of more Giants playoff path talk this year, I guess. Right? I mean, not mathematically eliminated, but I think we could officially retire the path talk for this year. Uh, I guess we got to start looking ahead to what's next for the Giants because the season feels like it is it is pretty much over at this point. Different tone on this podcast that out during that win streak, unfortunately. But how you doing, buddy? Yeah, definitely got to be a different tone. Technically, the Giants aren't mathematically eliminated, but we're not going to go down that path. Like I know Michael Strahan's famous famous comment is improbable but not impossible. And while that may hold true here, let's there's no there's no Christmas miracles coming. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, it's time to start looking ahead. It is unfortunate, the Giants. You know that's a game they really should have won, but they were entirely out coached, out schemed, out played. Tommy DeVito said it after the game. There was a lack of energy. You could sense that from the opening kickoff on. Uh, you know, and then injuries started piling up because, you know, it's the Giants, and that's just the theme as it has been since 2009 for this team. So, you know, it, it is unfortunate. Now they've locked in their ninth losing, you know, year in 11 seasons, which is it's kind of crazy to think that that's where these Giants are. They're the most losing team um, in the NFL. I think maybe with the exception of the Jets, um, over the last several years now. So it's just, it's an ugly time and just feels like this rebuild is just, it's just never completed. And somehow they always find themselves back to square one. And it seems like that's where we're headed again, unfortunately. Yeah, it kind of sucks. It does suck. And in this game against the Saints, I mean, it would have been fun for them to go in there and win. The Saints are a very mediocre team. They didn't look it on Sunday because you didn't really have a lot of juice, right, Dan? And we can, we can get through some lingering thoughts on that game here. Obviously, we'll talk about the Eagles game. Yeah, the Giants. Not mathematically eliminated, but they are like 12-point underdogs against the Eagles this weekend. We'll talk about the matchup, though, here coming up. And then we're going to get into some stuff, maybe looking ahead. We'll do that over the next few weeks, just starting to look ahead at what what the Giants have to do to to get this rebuild back back started. They took a step back this year, obviously. You go win a playoff game one year and then and then miss the playoffs the next. Uh, under 500, that's, that's rough. But any lingering thoughts on this Saints game, Dan? It just felt like... The Saints just played a game where they, again, they have not been a good football team this year. Very mediocre. They were banged up coming in as well, but they just looked really comfortable in what they were doing. They looked really comfortable in the game. They were ready for you. It is a good aggressive defense with a bunch of veterans. They have some good young corners, even with Marshawn Lattimore out, right? They have some good young corners, and they just, they just, it was just the same old story, right? They feasted on the Giants' offensive line. They got home to DeVito. We were you know, we were lauding him for not getting sacked the week prior, but he got sacked seven times in this one. They rubbed it in your face if you're DeVito a little bit after each sack. They were they were feeling themselves. They're they're a bad team against the run too, Dan, and they were flying in there stuffing all the runs with Saquon. There was just nothing the Giants could get going offensively. And the defense kind of sucked, which, you know, 
was an even bigger letdown because we talked about it last week. I felt Wink Martindale versus Pete Carmichael was a major advantage for the Giants. And then you got Chris Olave out. You got their right tackle. Ramchek, he's out. Uh, I, I just really thought with Derek Carr as banged up as he was coming in that this was the, the closer we got to game time, Dan, the more I thought the Giants could not only cover but win the game as we talked about last week. And then the air kind of came out of the balloon immediately, right? You could feel early on that it was going to be one of those days where the Giants didn't have it. And that's hard to explain, right? Like, how, how do you explain, you know, DeVito talked about it after the game, the lack of energy, the air coming out of the balloon. Uh, you could just feel it early that the Giants didn't have it. It was it was pretty disappointing and, and obviously very frustrating, too. You know, it was like pulling teeth watching that game because it was kind of like a slow burn. You know, you just kind of had a feeling that it was all spiraling, but it was really, really slowly going down the hill as opposed to just, you know, having that ball just hit the ground and, and go. So, you know, there was a level of frustration to the loss. But the bottom line, like I said previously, is just that the Giants were outcoached. They were out-schemed. Uh, you know, credit to the to the Saints. You know, they came in with an ideal plan. You know, they countered everything that the Giants did. Uh, defensively, they were far more pa- – the Giants were far more passive than they've been, playing different coverages than they played. It was, it was an entirely different approach, which kind of was counterintuitive to what you would think they would do against a, a quarterback like Carr who – you know, struggles when there's pressure in his face and he's getting hit. He was already kind of banged up going into the game. Everything was lined up for the Giants. You know, everything lined up for them perfectly. You, you would think that they would have gone into that game on fire, but, you know, outside of that first offensive drive, which, you know, those are scripted drives, it was, it was pretty dull. Uh, and really that falls, you know, that does fall somewhat on the shoulder of the players for not being fired up, but really that boils down to poor coaching. And, um, you know, Dayball, Martindale, Kafka, you know, they got away from what they had been winning with. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But they tried to fix it anyway, and it it backfired on them nicely. It cost them, you know, the playoffs. It cost them, a, you know, a potential winning season. And we'll see. You know, we'll see, you know, in a few weeks from here if it costs any jobs. It's just alarming that kind of the stuff that was, you know, hurting the Giants early in the year, Dan, the, the poor tackling too, right? I remember this play, third and sixteen. Early fourth quarter, it's seventeen six. You're still you're still relatively in the in the game, right? You're about to make them punt, or I forget if they were in field goal range. There was it was close, but uh, it's third and sixteen, and th- again, no Chris Olave, no Michael Thomas in this game, and the Giants give it up to At Perry. He catches it like five yards short of the sticks and just like fights through a couple tackles and gets the first down. And that was just <laughs> a throw your hands up in the air, right? Type of type of moment. It's just like yeah. the effort and the tackle effort, and all that and stuff. Effort was a problem, you know, the entire game with the exception of a few players, but it's all the same thing. You know, penalties, injuries, missed tackles, drop passes, missed assignments, getting beat on simple stunts, offensive line, just being dominated, bad footwork, you know, missing assignments, blown coverages. It's all the same kind of nonsense that we've seen from this team going back nearly a decade at this point, and certainly something we've talked about over the past several years. Like we talked about it before we came on the show. So many of the Giants' issues are longstanding. They, they span multiple general managers, multiple head coaches, multiple coordinators, multiple assistant coaches, different personnel, and, and somehow it's just all the same problem. Uh, I'm sort of at a loss at this point um, for, for what exactly the crux of the issue is, given all the change at these positions and, and you know, as far as the coaching staff and, and the scouting department and the front office and even the personnel on the field. And it just, I, I don't know. I'm at a loss. I don't know why these same issues continue to rear their ugly heads, but that just seems to be who the Giants are now. And it's going to remain that way until they're tired of it and they change it. 
the one, one of the things we talked about, what we talk about all the time is, you know, the state of the offensive line. We, we're been trying to wrap our heads around this, Dan, for we've been doing the show since 2020. We're still not sure what, what to do with the offensive line and why it's not working. Right. But I think th- this is the big debate as we look forward now. That's what a lot of Giants fans are doing. It's a lot of what people that cover the team are doing because we have to, right? We're at that point, three, three games left in the season. It's five and nine. Like we're, it's pretty much over now. So a lot of people are, are already mocking guys like Jaden Daniels to the giants. there at pick number six or seven in the first round saying, go, go draft your next franchise quarterback. Maybe I've heard a lot of people saying, Oh, go draft a, a Jaden Daniels, put him behind Daniel Jones for a year. Like, like the chiefs did with Pat Mahomes and hope you, you, you get something there after he can learn for a year and, and kind of watch and, Maybe he's ready to go in 2025. I, I think that makes some sense, but we've talked about it before, Dan. I want, I, mean, I want to revisit it here. Don't you have to figure out the offensive line first? Like, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to spend a high first-round pick on a quarterback until you figure out how to protect the quarterbacks you already have. Uh, I mean, they keep going back to the well in the draft, right? Like, I, I went back and looked at the last four drafts. You've drafted five offensive linemen ranging from first to third rounders over your last four drafts, and You've got Andrew Thomas. He he was a second team All Pro, right? But can we keep can we keep chucking darts at the board? Maybe that's their answer. Do they go free agency? We were looking at that before we hit record. Dan, we're not really loving what we're seeing there either in terms of the free agents for twenty twenty four. So, like, what is the answer? How do the yeah. Giants fix this problem? Again, that's just one of those things that I wish I had the answer to because we've seen this Giants organization, this franchise, you know, try this in multiple different ways, whether it's Go in, get the veteran guys in free agency, and then get your quarterback, or you know, get the guys in the draft and, and try to build them up that way. And it's just fail after fail after fail. And I know that you know there's this consensus that the Giants need to go out and get another quarterback. I understand why that narrative is out there, but again, the Giants have tried this before. They've tried that before with Daniel Jones. Get the quarterback, build the line around him. Now you've wasted a career essentially trying it that way. So. Until the Giants can get the offensive line issues fixed for the first time in more than a decade, it really doesn't matter who you have at the skill positions. It really doesn't matter who you have under center because we've seen it on repeat for a decade that that is not working. Something else has to change. So, yeah, you know, you want to go get a top quarterback, fine. Go get a top quarterback, and then in three and four years, we'll be having the same conversation again as the Giants are giving up 70-plus sacks in a season, and they're, you know, what was their newfound great franchise quarterback is getting beat into the ground, and people are ready to move on to the next quarterback because, you know, if you just get a new quarterback, that's going to fix all the issues when clearly that has not been the case. And, again, that stems back to the end of Eli Manning's career. Eli Manning, the end of Eli's career was completely saddled by poor offensive line play and lacking talent at the skill positions. And again, the Giants were doing the same thing then. Throw as many darts at the board as you possibly can, get as you know, stock up on as many offensive linemen as you can, because the idea was some of them will work out. But the problem is only one of them has worked out over this entire span. And you've got to have a higher batting average than that if you're going to have success in the NFL. And listen, I'll be the first to admit that NFL, you know, offensive line play is down across the league by a large margin. Uh, the Giants just happen to be at the very bottom of that barrel, which is unfortunate for them to be the worst of the worst in that particular field. So the Giants have got to do something different. I wonder if if different is just 
making it a priority in free agency, Dan, right? Just immediately, like before the draft, maybe they do that thing, right? Like, Well, I, I think, yeah, but I'll tell you this. Like when you look around the league right now, it, so this is what leads me to, to say that this is an internal problem, not a personnel problem necessarily. When you look around the league right now, out in Baltimore, Kevin Zietler is one of the best guards in the NFL right now. That's a guy that the Giants just willingly released who had – what really amounted to an average career with the Giants. And he's been above average outside of that, obviously closer to elite this year. And then you look out in San Francisco where John Feliciano, their center, again, another guy who was below average with the Giants, who was out there absolutely dominating in terms of pass protection this year, arguably one of the best pass protecting centers in all of football in terms of the statistics and analytics. So, you know, it's it's not again. It's an internalized problem that the Giants have here. There's something going on in the, either the scouting department or the coaching department. And, and again, it's hard to say because they've they've changed these things. They've changed those coaches. They've changed those scouts. But maybe there's something that the organization is looking for specifically in their offensive linemen that is being passed down from scout to scout and coach to coach. That's the problem. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But again, when you look at the players that have failed with the Giants, that either had success prior to the Giants and then failed with the Giants, or failed with the Giants and then had success after the Giants, it's very clear that's a Giants-specific problem that they've got to figure out. I think you might have just answered your own question, Dan. Like, what's, what's one thing that the Ravens and the 49ers have in common? They don't have a lot of turnover in their regime, right? It's just the same, it's the same crew. Uh, they have a they have a they they're not changing things over every couple of years like the Giants do, man. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, maybe you need the longevity. But yeah, it's it's very clear. No matter the regime, drafting and developing the right guys to fit the system that the head coach wants to run and the quarterback uh, has been a major issue with the Giants. Yeah, well, Eric Flowers is another example. Another guy who really bombed. He was a bust completely and totally undeniably a bust with the Giants. And I'm not saying he went on to have any kind of great career, but Washington certainly managed to get more out of him than the Giants ever did. And that was just, and listen, I'm not trying to knock the person here, but Eric Flowers was just a bad football player. He was. And yet the Washington franchise managed to actually squeeze something out of that stone, whereas the Giants got absolutely nothing. So it, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt a Giants-specific problem, like I said previously. But the problem within that problem is that we don't know what the issue is, what the specific issue is. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, the constant turnover and the regime change, but going back further in time, you know, the Giants were – more cohesive and more consistent and they didn't have that turnover and yet they still had those problems because once those Super Bowl offensive line like that, you know, David Deal, uh, Chris Snee, Sean O'Hara, Rich Soiber, Kareem McKenzie crew was gone, it, it was just all downhill from there. And, and I couldn't tell you again what the problem is because at the time the Giants were still a consistent organization uh, and they, they had consistent regimes. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I I have a feeling that it's an organizational issue where they have a, a specific kind of talent in mind when it comes to offensive linemen, and there's just something that they're missing organizationally. Yeah, you would, you would hope as a fan that you have some, you have at least three pillars in place. Like, I don't know, Dan. I, I Justin Pugh seems like a pretty nice guy. I, I I hope he's not starting at left guard next year. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. You got three young pillars of place. You got Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal, and John Michael Schmitz, and you're and you're hoping those guys are your pillars. We're hoping my Evan Neal uh, can turn a corner here. Didn't happen this year. Uh, Schmitz as well. He's a rookie. So you got these three guys. Um, 
you know, can you figure it out with those, you know, can you figure out how to make that work and then add to it? But is it hopeless, Dan? Like what, what's the, before we move on, like, do we trust Joe Shane to figure it out? Or is this just like, are we just going to be stuck in this vicious cycle? Like what's your gut tell you? Well, it doesn't look good for his resume so far. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody would argue otherwise when it comes to the offensive line. He certainly hit on some talent, but like his predecessor, you just, you're just whiffing. You're just whiffing on offensive linemen. And I know that he continues to have faith in Evan Neal that he could turn it around and become something. But we've reached the point now where Brian Dayball asked if Evan Neal is going to take over at right tackle once he's healthy, and he refuses to commit to it. So yep, yep. That, that tells you how potentially wrong they got that. And again, I don't know what it is because you go back and you watch Evan Neal on, on film and you watch his college tape and you think to yourself, boy, the ceiling on this guy is high. He he can be dominant. You know, then he gets to the Giants and he's anything but that. And we all kind of expected this turnaround this season similar to what we saw with Andrew Thomas. And it just it just never happened. The same issues continue to rear their ugly heads. And then you had all the other issues, obviously, at you know, at guard, like it's almost laughable because you look at last week's game and Mark Lewinsky, who had gotten benched, who actually probably was playing the best at guard in the weeks leading up to that. Uh, he comes in for one play and in one play he gets a penalty. And, it, and it's just it's it's almost surreal, the level of futility that has infected this offensive line. So then I guess the question that piggybacks off of this is quarterback, right? Because that's what everybody wants. Uh, people will say, we'll figure out the offensive line. I want I want the quarterback. They want the Giants to trade up or trade up for a guy or just pick a guy at six or seven wherever they end up drafting. And and I I get that take. It's 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 fine. The quarterbacks have not been good this season. They've also been sacked at a uh, ridiculous rate, all three of them. So it hasn't mattered if it was Daniel Jones or Tyrod. The Giants are getting sacked, Dan, at an average of five and a half times per game, which seems like a high number. Uh, but then when you look at last year, Denver led the league at 3.7. So the Giants have managed to go from 3.7, that was the high last year, to five and a half. Sounds like a big number when you're talking about the average over a season, and it is because you were telling me that the Giants are uh, threatening the all-time record for quarterback sacks in a season, taken. Uh, they're not going to get there, but it's going to be the most sacks in like almost 40 years, you told me, right? I know you guys have written about that on Giants Wire. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it, the quarterbacks have not been good, but what what kind of chance have they they had? They've been getting sacked at a league-high historic rate, and uh, three it's three different guys. It's not like you can blame one dude. Yeah, well, Right, well, think back to the earlier season narrative, right? It wasn't the offensive line. It was just Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was the reason the Giants were compiling all those sacks. Right. And then it was Tyrod Taylor. It was like, ah, oh, well, you know, maybe Tommy DeVito will be different, and he won't be. You know, he gets in there, and he gets, you know, beat up. And they have one game where there's no sacks, and all of a sudden it was, oh, see, it was Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. And then he goes out and gets hit nine times in sack seven. And it's like, okay, so maybe that narrative got a little bit busted, didn't it? Because, you know, everybody so desperately wanted to be an individual quarterback problem and not an offensive line problem because, well, because everything has to be Daniel Jones's fault. And that's just kind of where we're at in New York. Uh, but it's not, and it wasn't, it never was. We we made that argument on this podcast and kind of got creamed for it. And, and you kind of saw all these analysts were coming out and saying, this is very much a Daniel Jones problem. This doesn't happen to other quarterbacks. Well, Guess what, guys? It did. It's happened to three different quarterbacks, all three of whom have been injured this season, two of them twice, one of them for the year. So, yeah, it's it's, it's far more than a quarterback problem. And this whole notion that some kind of, you know, college quarterback that's not used to NFL-style play is going to come in and suddenly fix it, 
that's really, really pie in the sky, and it's really, really dangerous to whoever that quarterback is, and we've seen it this year. And, and quite frankly, I, w- I would say knock on wood and crush your heart for Tommy DeVito because if he keeps taking some of the hits that he's been taking, we're going to be on quarterback number four before the season is over. Speaking of DeVito, Dan, before we move on to the Eagles, do you think he's a lock for the backup role next year? I, we know Joe Shane has told us, I, I think we mentioned this earlier, he's told us point blank that they're going to address the quarterback position we know how they feel about Daniel Jones. The organization's made that clear. Dayball won't commit to Evan Neal, but he's he's not shying away from saying Daniel Jones is a quarterback next year, right? Uh, when asked, so um, yeah. so you know, what do you think about Devito? Is he a lock for the backup role? Do you think the Giants bring in a quarterback, even if it's not a round one quarterback, maybe a day two or day three pick that comes in? And that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Like they they go get this is supposed to be a deep quarterback class. I haven't really dug into it. Um, I don't you know we're not quite there yet. But maybe you could find a guy with a lot of potential on day two or day three. You bring him in. He competes with DeVito for the backup role. You have DJ starting, hopefully, if he's healthy, to start training camp. Like I think that's a pretty good plan. And then you keep just throwing darts, I guess, free agency and draft at the offensive line and hope you figure yeah. that out. Uh, but do you think DeVito's a lock for the backup? Because a lot of people seem to, and I'm, I'm not sure. I think there could be some competition there. I don't know if I, it's way too early to say he's a lock, but I think he has a really good chance of securing that role. Like to, to DeVito's credit, like he, he doesn't listen. This is an undrafted rookie who doesn't turn the football over in the NFL where the defense is entirely designed to force you to turn the football over. And, you know, he's not just not turning the football over. He's not turning the football over while he's being beaten to the ground on a weekly basis. And, you know, there's certainly something to be said about that because his, you know, two counterparts, Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor couldn't accomplish that. So, you know, if nothing else, you got to tip your cap to DeVito for that reason. And I think, you know, ball security for a quarterback above all else is paramount. So, you know, if he continues that trend, I think there's a very strong chance that he locks into the backup role because ideally, what do you want out of your backup? You want a competent guy who can come in and run the system, but most importantly, not turn the football over. So, you know, his best asset is what every team looks for in a backup quarterback. So for that reason alone, I certainly think he's going to have the chance, you know, the odds will certainly be in his favor to lock up that backup quarterback role, whether or not that's to Daniel Jones, which I think it will be or not remains to be seen. But even if I still think that Joe Shane's going to go out and add not just one quarterback, but probably two quarterbacks, he's going to probably seek some kind of veteran, uh, longtime veteran influence that he can sign, you know, onto the 90 man roster before cutdowns. And then, you know, another young quarterback, whether or not that's in the early rounds or mid rounds of the draft, or even the late rounds or a free agency, you know, again, we'll, we'll see what path he opts to take. But I think the pressure to find that kind of quarterback has actually been taken off Shane a little bit because of the performance by DeVito. I don't think he feels that that same desperation that he may have a month ago that the Giants were going to, you know, lose Tyrod Taylor. And then they didn't have anything really behind Jones because now you look at it and you're like, all right, so they do have some substance there. But, yes, they're still going to have to address the quarterback position. And I don't think Shane has been shy about admitting that even you know, and I'm sure he would say the same thing, even given DeVito's relative success. And when I say success, again, I mean a guy who's putting up, you know, high quarterback ratings, not turning the ball over, who's staying tough, who's playing. I think, you know, one of the best assets to him beyond not turning the ball over is the fact that he's cool, calm, and collected. Like, you, you, he kind of reminds me of Eli Manning almost in that way. Like, he's just not phased whatsoever. 
Uh, he's confident in himself. He's confident in his teammates. And, you know, he's decisive and, and he knows where he wants to go with the ball. Most of the time, he's got pretty good placement on it. So I think overall, he, you know, he's kind of positioned himself well to, to assume that backup role. Draft an offensive lineman, go free agency. We'll dig into that more as we go. The quarterback position, all of it. Uh, there's a lot to get to with the Giants. But we have a game this week, Dan. We're heading to Philly Christmas Day. Big underdogs. Would have been way more fun if they won this game against the Saints, but what can you do, right? That's that's life. Uh, so we'll break that one it down. It would have been a meaningful game, that's yes, for sure. Yes, it would. It would have been a lot more. And and just the state of the Philly, uh, the Eagles right now, too. It would have been a lot of fun, but we'll see. What we're, we'll dig into the matchup anyway here coming up next. First, uh, if you're still alive in your fantasy playoffs, congratulations. It's semifinals in a lot of leagues. we get some advice here from thehuddle.com, and then we'll be right back. <laughs> Corey Bonini here of TheHuddle.com to bring you fantasy football strong plays for Week 16. Quarterback Nick Mullins, Minnesota Vikings versus Detroit Lions. In his first full start with the Vikings, Mullins posted 303 passing yards, two touchdowns, and chipped in 10 rushing yards. While he did toss a pair of interceptions, a 24-plus point day on the road was a nice early Christmas present for anyone brazen enough to play him. This one could turn into a shootout of sorts. Mullins is at home versus Detroit, a group that has allowed 22.7 fantasy points on average to the position on the year. In the last six weeks since Detroit has come back out of its bye, half of the performance have been good for 27 or more fantasy points. Running back Ezekiel Elliott, New England Patriots at Denver Broncos. Elliott will shoulder the burden of this backfield if Ramondre Stevenson isn't able to return. Even if he has to share some touches, Elliott showed a couple of weeks ago he's capable of handling a massive workload. Denver has given up 17 total scores to the position on the year, and no team has permitted more rushing yards. Since Week 10, the matchup is rated neutrally, but we're still fairly confident in his opportunity, especially since it's unlikely Denver will hang a big score on the board. Wide receiver Drake London, Atlanta Falcons versus Indianapolis Colts. The Falcons go back to Taylor Heineke as their starting quarterback, who was under center from weeks 8 through 10. In that time, London posted lines of 5 catches for 55 yards and 3 grabs for 36 yards. He missed the week 9 game between those two respective performances. Indianapolis has permitted wide receivers the 5th fewest receptions per game, but the 5th highest scoring rate in the last 5 weeks. While he doesn't have an extremely high ceiling, London is a pretty safe bet for a wide receiver 3 play in week 16. Tight end Tanner Hudson, Cincinnati Bengals at Pittsburgh Steelers. Hudson has been steady Eddie over the last seven weeks, posting between 5.7 and 10.1 PPR points in each game, including four showings of at least 8.5. That said, for as quietly solid as he has been, Hudson lacks the requisite pop to be a lock as a starting lineup option. Fortunately, if you have to play him this postseason, Pittsburgh presents a tremendous statistical matchup and has been exploited across the board by the position in recent weeks. No Jamar Chase likely means Hudson will have a much larger role. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. The Giants heading to Philly. Dan as 12-point underdogs. Uh, I would like I would like to believe the line would be something like, I don't know, nine and a half or something if the Giants won last week, but here we are, right? 12-point spread. And um, I'm interested to get your take on this one because the Eagles are coming in pissed, right? They've lost three straight. They were just embarrassed on Monday Night Football by Drew Locke and Pete Carroll. Like, that was... That was something. I'm, I'm sure Giants fans at least got some enjoyment out of Monday night there. Uh, that was that was pretty good. You got Jalen Hurts calling out his teammates. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I, you kind of wanted – listen, if you were a Giants fan, you kind of wanted the Eagles to win that game, if we're, if we're being completely honest. You didn't want them to lose, you know, three in a row and then go into Christmas Day in sort of a must-win angry situations because it, like, it very much feels like a get-right game now. You kind of feel like if the Eagles would have won on Monday night, they would have gone into the short week feeling a little good about themselves, thinking that, you know, they were back on track and they were going to bowl over the Giants. And I think that probably would have been, you know – the better scenario for the Giants than to have an angry Eagles team that's going to be again on national television, absolutely furious that they've been humiliated three weeks in a row and then just wanting to completely annihilate their NFC East rivals who are, are now again reeling with their third string quarterback in there. So, uh, you know, I know that, you know, there's always a delight in the fact that the Eagles lose, but in this particular case, uh, not only was it bad for the Giants in terms of the playoff seating had the Giants won their game, but now they've got a pissed off Eagles team to deal with, and that's that's not fun. No, it, it, I don't think it's going to be fun. That's kind of where my gut is. But Dan, let me play the other side of it, right? Because yeah, I think this could go one of two ways. This could be a get right spot for the Eagles. Uh, we all know how these games usually go. Uh, but this could let's play the other side of the coin, right? The Eagles have kind of been unraveling a little bit lately. Maybe they continue to ara- unravel, and the Giants play them tough, right? Jalen Hurts has not looked. Jalen Hurts hasn't looked right since Week One. I remember I'm a Patriots fan. I remember Eagles Patriots week one. I was like, what is what is Jalen Hurts doing out here? Right. I, I know he's scoring a bunch of touchdowns on the ground, but I think he's he seems to be struggling with the new offensive coordinator. You know, the offensive coordinator change and all that. Like, it's just not quite right there on offense. A.J. Brown seems kind of frustrating, frustrated at times. Their defense has not been good either. They they have turned it over to Bozo. the Cl- I mean, sorry. Matt Patricia, <laughs> they turned it over to him as uh, he's calling the defense <laughs> on Monday night. So nice job, nice job on uh, on Monday night there, Matty P. That was a pretty good. That was a pretty good job against uh, Drew Locke. Uh, so I mean, is there a chance here, Dan? If we play that other side of the coin, I know it's unlikely. I know they're huge underdogs. I know the Eagles are going to be pissed. We're in Philly. More likely than not, this is a blowout loss for the Giants. But can we play the other side? Is there a chance there that this continues to unravel for the Eagles and the Giants stay in it? Well, I mean, it would be very much a Giants-like scenario to have them get stomped out by the Saints and then go into and, be, and you know beat the Eagles in Philly. But listen, Philly has dominated the Giants for such a long period of time now that it seems highly unlikely that that's suddenly going to change, especially given the way that the Giants' offensive line is playing. So. Listen, I'm not holding my breath. I don't really think anybody else should hold their breath. <laughs> I know it would be fun. It would be some kind of Christmas miracle if the Giants could get this monkey off their back, even if it's in a meaningless game. But, you know, I just I don't see that happen. And this kind of has more like a scenario where Boston Scott, the Giants killer, is going to go out and run for 200 yards and three touchdowns instead. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the way I'm seeing this game potentially play out. So I would love to be optimistic and believe there's another side to this coin, but um, I'm just not feeling it going into this one. Yeah. Is there a chance? Hell no. I don't think so. We've seen this movie before, right? I mean, listen, I mean, there, listen, again, like any, there's, there's always a chance in the NFL. The NFL is kind of wild in that way. Like you, you never really know what to expect. And, and, and truthfully, yeah, the, the Eagles are, they're not playing well right now. They're, they're, they're losing the turnover battle. Uh, you know, Hertz is not playing particularly well. They're, they're not running the ball as effectively as they were earlier in the season. Again, these are all things that seem like get right moments for them coming up against the Giants, but maybe there is something more to it. Maybe they've hit the wall and and teams have kind of gotten a beat on them and the film is out there and the blueprint is out there on how to how to slow them down, beat them, force them to beat themselves, et cetera. But um, 
you know, again, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath on that. Would it be wonderful? I, I mean, listen, the fact that I've got to work on Christmas Day and cover this, <laughs> I would very much love for the Giants to at least go out there and, and make it competitive to the end and give me something to be excited about. But, um, I, you know, my God tells me this has blowout written all over it. Me too. Um, holding out hope. That's a, it's a good game. But I just think it, it's all your points earlier. Uh, the fact that the Eagles and, and, you know, just to backtrack a little bit. I think it's a fair point. Like the Eagles and the Chiefs seem like they're both hitting a wall right now. So maybe these teams are kind of running out of yeah. steam. The te- the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, uh, but to the Eagles, like they need this one, right? They're going to be ready. Oh, uh, they yeah, they yeah. have to have this one, and they, they have and to have it. They have to have it, and they just if we're being like completely honest, just looking at the, the on paper, they just have more horses than you do, right? So. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think I uphill, uphill I actually, ugly play. Yeah, go ahead. I, I wrote an article this morning where um, it, it's kind of a foolish article, really, but it's it's just one of the weekly articles that we write called Gimme Him, where you, you know, pretend to steal a player from the other team. That's it's, a tough one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's and you know, that's the irony of it is, you know, you look up and down their roster and it's like, holy crap, like <laughs> there are backups that would be massive upgrades on the giants roster and you're going up and down the roster and it's just like talent, 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 like dominant top level talent all over this team. And it's just, you know, it almost makes you a little jealous. Like, boy, I wish the giants were built like this. So yeah, I mean, like you were saying, when you, when you look up and down their depth chart and uh, up to, up and down their 53 man roster, they are loaded compared to the giants. Give me him. Uh, could you do the whole offensive line? <laughs> like starting yeah, Jason right. Kelsey, yeah. like I, yeah. Ironically, I actually didn't pick a lineman. Like we actually debated it uh, for about an hour, and we were all kind of like, "Man, we got to take the lineman." But and again, I, I you know I prefaced that in the article by saying this doesn't matter if you don't fix the offensive line. But AJ Brown is unbelievably yeah. game changing. He's so the guy. We went with Brown. And the luxury of that is the Giants play the Eagles again in two weeks, so we'll steal an offensive lineman there. There you go. Yeah, you, you couldn't you couldn't couldn't go through this game without taking AJ Brown. That's excellent planning right there. I like that, Dan. You've already got an article planned for a couple weeks. Uh, but yeah, AJ Brown's a freak. Um, he's he's awesome. Jason Kelsey. There might be an argument there if he was a little younger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yep. Because he's mm-hmm. just unbelievable. Um, and man, the Giants could use a player like that. But uh, not just yeah. a player like that, yeah. a personality like personality that. leader. That Absolutely. the leader, yeah, exactly. That kind of leadership, that really tough as nails kind of guy who's going to grab somebody's face mask and, and kind of bully him around. Something the Giants lost with Nick Gates, you know, when we talked about that early this season, who was going to fill that, you know, enforcer role on the Giants' offensive line. And to some degree, Justin Pugh has done that. Uh, but they don't really have that Nick Gates, Jason Kelsey-like leader in the middle of that offense, and that is definitely something the Giants are lacking. And again, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like the Sean O'Hara days. That's the kind of player, Rich Schoibert, those are the kind of players that are going to fix this for the Giants, and they need to find them. Real quick, just to end on the prediction, Dan, I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, I have it at 12. Who knows? It might have climbed since we started the show, but we're talking here on a Wednesday morning. It was a 12 point spread. I think the giants lose this one by a couple touchdowns just because of the, it just feels like a tough spot um, just based on where the Eagles are in the playoff hunt, where the giants are now after the saints game. I think the Eagles win by a couple touchdowns. What do you think? I don't see why this game would go any other direction than that. Like if, if the saints can beat up on the giants to the degree in which they did, I don't think the Eagles are going to have a particularly hard time doing it. So you know, my hope 
going into this game is that Tommy DeVito doesn't get seriously injured. And and knock on wood, I hate to say that because the last time that we had that exact conversation and I said those exact words, Tyrod Taylor was knocked out with mm-hmm. a very severe injury and spent a night in the hospital. So, you know, I don't want to see that happen, although this game is kind of shaping up to be a game very much like that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he could stay healthy. Uh, but ultimately, I think 12 is pretty easy. Dan, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I hope you have a great weekend. The NFL <laughs> does love to infiltrate um, these holiday weekends, right? They take over Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah they're I, taking over Black Friday. They're taking over the uh, Christmas. You know, they're doing it all as soon as college football is kind of done. So, um, yeah, it, it, super. It's super fun working on Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas, and New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. So, yeah. thank you, NFL, for that. Really, really, really appreciate that they, stuff. Yeah, they just shove it right down your throat, don't you? No, you're going to get us on Thursday, <laughs> some select Fridays, Saturdays now, yep. Sunday. Mo- we'll have a couple of games on Monday too, right in your face. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, hey, I have to watch my Patriots <laughs> on Christmas Eve, so I'm not looking forward to that either because they're so bad. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah. man. Um, in all seriousness, though, man. Hope you have a great weekend. Merry Christmas and to all the listeners as well. Yep. Uh, same to you, buddy. I hope you enjoy it and to everybody listening. Thanks for another great year. We do appreciate it. I wish the Giants were better for you all, but thank you very much. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and you know, have a happy new year. Yep. Well said by Dan. We'll be back next week if you can believe it. We're not, we're not giving up yet. We'll be back. We're not eliminated, Dan. We're still going to be doing this thing. We'll come back to talk about Giants, <laughs> Eagles, and whatever else is going on with the team next week. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you then. 